Today, I'm thrilled to introduce Bojana Payank, Duolingo's VP of Learning and Curriculum. Bojana is at the helm of one of the most interesting experiments in the history of education. They have nearly 40 million active users learning a language, resulting in the most instructive real-world lab for learning science, which they're famous for utilizing in their decision-making and design. With no further ado, let's jump into it. So the first question I'd like to ask is just, what's your journey? Tell us your story. How did you get into the world of education and learning? Why is this something you think is important enough for your time? Great question. Um, and I guess the first thing to say is probably that my path, just like probably for most people, uh, has had a lot of twists and turns and was not straightforward at all. Um, but really kind of the guiding principle always for me has been to pursue my passion, just whatever I was passionate about at the time. And I feel like that's, that's kind of what really got me to where I am right now. Um, but um, I grew up in Poland. And so that determined a lot of what I ended up doing, what I ended up being interested in. Uh, from very early on, I was interested in languages. Um, and partly that was probably because learning languages in Poland was actually has always been a, a big deal when you're growing up in a country where um, that's where language is spoken that uh, that's not very widely used in the world then you kind of need to learn other languages it's important for your job prospects and so that's something I always heard from my parents, from teachers, from, from everyone. Learning languages is important. This will give you a good job. So I got interested in languages uh, and I started just learning a bunch of them and I discovered I really just liked learning them. Um, and at, at some point I, I even had this plan of, okay, I want to learn, uh, I want to start learning one language, one new language every year. <laughs> And, Dang, okay. That's ambitious. It, it was. And of course, I, I did not uh, manage that. I, although I will say I, I did manage it for a little bit. And so I did start learning a lot of languages. Um, and, and I did get quite proficient in a lot of them. But that, that was really kind of the beginning for me. I, I was interested in languages. Um, and in high school, I... Um, in Poland, we uh, have majors in high school, and so I actually chose Spanish as my major. Um, kind of as a side note, in Poland at the time, Spanish was not a very popular say, language. Like a popular option. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Which is kind of funny because it ended up really being that language that that's very popular around the world. It was a great choice. It opened up a lot of doors for me. But at the time, I actually really wanted to do something, something more niche, something, <laughs> something different, something that other people weren't doing. So I picked Spanish. Um, and I, I loved Spanish from the very beginning. But also, I had this amazing Spanish teacher mm. who, uh, who really somehow managed uh, to teach everyone in the class Spanish to the point that, that they were able to communicate by the end of high school really well in Spanish. And so that was amazing. And that really got me thinking a lot about, well, what, what makes a good language teacher? Why is it that so many teachers are, are different and they're not able to teach you that well? But this one teacher really somehow accomplished it. 
Um, and so that was a point when I really started thinking about education and teaching and, okay, what, what is it um, about, about teaching and how do you do it to, to make it effective? Um, and then later, um, you know, I continued lear learning languages, but I decided I wanted to be um, a journalist. And so for college, I actually ended up doing something different. I decided that, okay, those languages are great. They're going to really help me uh, be a good journalist, a reporter. I can travel around the world and, and uh, you know, communicate with people. Um, but really, I want to go to college to study something different that would help me actually gain some useful skills to be a good journalist. So I'm curious, were the languages a tool to connect with other people or were you intrigued by just the intellectual challenge of trying to learn a whole different way of communicating? Like, was this like a, like getting good at chess to you or was this a passport to the world, if you will? I think a little bit of both. Although, you know, I ended up, um, I ended up becoming a linguist, uh, which maybe gives you a hint that um, I, I was really probably mostly interested in this challenge of, of kind of solving the language puzzle, so maybe more of the chess direction. And so I was definitely interested in, you know, how, how does language work? How, how is it that languages differ in some interesting ways and they're the same in many, many ways? How does it happen? So I was definitely interested just in language on, as a, is its, its own thing, how the, the structure of languages. Um, at the same time, I, I definitely was also interested in, in just language as, as, as this passport to the world, communicating with other people, um, being able to go somewhere and connect with them uh, in a way that you know you can't if you if you don't speak the language. So I think Basically, I was interested in, in just a lot of aspects of, of language. That's amazing. That's amazing. So then how do you go from interested in language all the way to Duolingo? Yes. So um, I, like I said, for college, I actually um, did different things. I studied uh, international relations and sociology. I, I, I wanted to, to become a journalist. And um, but then I um, I did a study abroad uh, in the U.S. and I, I kind of randomly—I mean, not completely randomly, but I—but somewhat randomly—took a class in linguistics, an intro to linguistics, um, and that really uh, made me realize that oh, this is where my passion is. I really, I really want to study more about language, uh, and and that class also focused heavily on on language teaching, language learning. And so that was the part that just reminded me of, of everything I was already thinking about back in high school when I had that amazing Spanish teacher. Um, and so I, um, I did that, I, I took that class. I realized that's really what I want to do. Uh, the professor uh, who um, was teaching the class encouraged me to, to do a PhD in linguistics. And so I ended up um, applying uh, in the U.S. For, for a PhD. I ended up doing it um, at UC San Diego, uh, a great place uh, for linguistics because it was also very much <clears throat> connected with cognitive science. Uh, I loved learning just about the cognitive psychology of learning in general. 
of course, the language was always the, the subject that interested me a lot, and I had a lot of personal experience with it. But during my PhD, I really got to explore just learning science in general, uh, which was really fascinating. Um, and then I, um, I spent some time in academia doing research, teaching, um, but I, I, I had those doubts about whether that was the right path for me. Uh, I really wanted to do something that was, that was really more, more immediately impactful. So I really wanted to, to go back to, to really what those thoughts I had in high school about, about teachers, about how, how can we teach in a way that's, that's really effective, that makes people learn. And so I, I wanted to really take all my knowledge from, from grad school, from all the research I did, and, and really put it into practice. And that's where Duolingo comes in. I, I also fairly accidentally found a job ad that Duolingo posted at the time. So um, that was over seven years ago. Um, and it was basically written for me. So they were looking at the time for someone who, who knew about the learning science, who really would bring in that expertise about, uh, about learning and in particular about languages, language learning, language teaching. Um, so I ended up applying, getting the job, starting at Duolingo. Um, and, that's, and that's where the journey started. No, no regrets. I feel like that was when I realized everything I was learning, all my experiences really came together and I was able to contribute something uh, that had real impact in the world. That's incredible. And I'm sure we can give an equally fascinating story about the last seven years of Duolingo from a, a relatively early stage startup to now a public company. I'm sure there's lots to uncover there. And yes. uh, I will try to uncover bits and pieces of it through the following questions. <laughs> um, and the main one that comes to mind is, uh, while holding in our minds this, this Spanish teacher that you said really inspired you in high school, I'm curious your thoughts on um, the role of Duolingo and Duolingo-style apps in education. So if there was a Duolingo-quality app for every subject kids have to learn in school, do you think the problems of education would be, you know, quote-unquote, solved? Or if not, what else is missing in that? That's such a great question because it really, it's a, it's a useful exercise, I think, for, for a lot of us, especially in Duolingo. Uh, you know, what, what is actually in the realm of possibility? Um, I, um, I think with apps like Duolingo, you can get far, especially as the technology gets better and better. You can really learn a lot. And at Duolingo, we are really finding better and better ways to motivate learners, to really make them want to learn and uh, engage them in what they're doing. And, uh, and so that's really fantastic. And so we are really, I think we are already able to teach a lot and I think we'll be able to teach much, much more in the coming years. At the same time, it, I think I'm skeptical Duolingo like apps will, always, will, will ever be sufficient. You know, there's, there's still a lot of pieces missing from just a, a, an app-like experience. The primary one that comes to mind is just the social aspect of learning. 
you know, we we are we go to schools not just to to absorb absorb some knowledge, but also to to really connect with people and and the, that those connections also help us learn and they help us refine what we're learning and they help us just connect all those new concepts uh, in in different ways as we as we talk about them with others as we reinterpret what we uh, what we continue learning and so th those are things that are hard to do via an app i mean maybe they will also be possible if we add more social aspects to, to these kinds of apps but i think this is something that will be very difficult to replicate. Um, and just in general, um, you know, schools, I think, provide this amazing environment where you can really do much more just reasoning, critical thinking, or just pondering about things in, in creative ways, um, which is just kind of not how the apps are, are set up. So apps can really teach you. <laughs> A lot of things that that can be taught in those um, bite-sized lessons. But what about things like, you know, talking about a a book that that you read, or um, or you know, thinking about how to write an essay? Those are things that are that are, I think much harder to do uh, on apps. That's a great point. I usually think of the main gap in that future I painted for you where Duolingo style apps exist for everything. I think that is a huge improvement on the current system to be clear, <laughs> but the platonic ideal of a school, I, I think that presupposes a motivated learner, right? Like you're saying, we, we need to allow space to ponder and create meaning about the world and what we think is valuable. And then once a kid has that, that why, on their own volition, they can use these tools to, to greatly accelerate what they can learn, especially relative to 50 years ago when all, the best we had was a library, right? So I think it is the second step, and school is the first step, creating that, that, that why, that meaning um, worldview inside of people, that passion. At the same time, I will add that I think you know, Duolingo and other apps also provide a great opportunity for learning for people who don't have easy access to, to schools or to good schools. So I think that's also um, a great way to, to help people learn things um, when they really don't have many other options, when they don't have maybe access to any school or maybe the particular subject that they're interested in learning is not really accessible or maybe there are no good teachers in that particular area i think that's where the gaps can also be filled um, not because schools can't do it but because sometimes well we just don't have all the resources to really provide everyone with high quality education absolutely absolutely i think there is an, an incredible amount of people in the world who already have this goal or this vision of themselves and showing them the tools to fulfill it or to get there is a huge opportunity, like you're saying. I think, especially in the Western world, if I can paint with a wide brush, uh, that purpose, that uh, what is my place in the world and what are my goals, and uh, that is a huge thing that's lacking, in my opinion. So. Uh, 
creating that space is step one um, and that's not necessarily a huge need especially in areas where uh, you can just look out at your material conditions and go oh if I learn English on Duolingo I'm gonna make three times as much money right? I, I think that the why is a bit more obvious certainly so I have a question to switch gears a bit and to go into instructional design <laughs> um, so I know Duolingo is famous for A-B testing everything. And for the audience, A-B testing, very simply, is the practice of putting two or more experiments against each other and seeing how they perform to help us with our decision on what we should move forward. Maybe that's, you have a better definition. but That's perfect. Uh, great. <laughs> and I've had the pleasure of meeting Luis, your CEO, and he joked, he's like, uh, Duolingo, we A-B test even bugs, because who knows, maybe they're good. <laughs> so I know you, you kind of die on this hill of A-B testing. So um, as somebody who cares more about the pedagogy and the learning science, how do you feel about A-B testing as a tool, not just to drive engagement, which I know is a huge battle, an important one, but as a tool for instructional design? Great question, and definitely something that we think a lot about, because like you said, as a company, we just A-B test everything. We think this is really an amazing tool for us to, to make progress, to really um, trust data, um, not um, you know, just rely on our own intuitions of what we think works or doesn't work. Uh, of course, we use our intuitions, but then we test them. And that's been amazingly useful for the company to, to really keep improving the product. Uh, but you're right that it's uh, it's a little bit of a um, of a separate question of how to even use um, A/B testing for instructional design. It, it's it's in a way pretty straightforward to to test the app for <laughs> for engagement to really drive um, drive um, in, increases in those metrics of you know how many people use the app every day or how many are coming back. Uh, because you have those clear numbers. And so you can really create two versions of the app. You know, it can be as simple as changing a color of a button um, and then just give each version to, um, to different groups of users and, and then test it and then see, okay, well, what are the numbers? Um, with instructional design, this is also something that, that's relevant. So we can create two different versions, let's say, of um, of let's say a, a unit, a part of a course, um, and, and we, can, we can test them. We can give one version to, to some learners and another version to another uh, group of learners, um, and then look at the same metrics. Look how, how many of them are, are actually going through the course, how many are, are sticking around, how many are coming back still a week later or two weeks later which is a pretty important um, signal for us. You know, is it working? Are they, are they getting um, interested in this? But it still, again, gets more of this engagement aspect. Are they enjoying it? Um, but what about the efficacy of it? Is it actually teaching uh, what we want to teach? And how do we know um, which version is, is working better for that purpose? And that question is actually much harder to answer. Um, so one critical thing 
uh, with A-B testing is that, well, you need to have the right metric. If your metric is, is wrong, is uh, imperfect, well, you're not going to get a great signal. Um, and so it's important to, to have a good metric that would measure what you care about. But learning, learning is not that easy to measure. It turns out it's actually a really complicated thing. <laughs> um, also, learning happens over a long period of time. Our A-B tests usually, I mean, they're so, they're so powerful because we run a lot of them and they are very quick. Um, so some of them can last, you know, only a few days, a week, maybe two weeks, but usually we don't want to run them for much longer. But, you know, we might not be able to capture everything that's going on with how people are learning over just a, a over the course of two weeks, let's say. And so we might want to um, wait longer to see really the results longer term. And, and that's harder to do in this kind of quick A-B test uh, framework. So that's one of the challenges. And then again, there's this challenge of, of the metric. What do we actually look at? How do, we, how do we assess whether people are learning what we want them to learn? How do we assess whether this particular design is working better for, for learning? Um, and so the, the things that, of course, we can do is, is think about those metrics and create some assessments that we give to learners. Um, and then and we, can, we can see, okay, we can compare the two versions. We can look in those A-B tests uh, in which condition are learners, for example, performing better on, on the questions that we give them at the end. Um, at the same time, it's actually tricky to, to interpret the results because um, the people that we start with are not necessarily the same people who finish a particular portion of a course. Duolingo is an app, is a free app. You can join whenever you want, you can leave whenever you want. And so in different um, conditions, in an A-B test, uh, there might be different people who are, who are leaving the app and not actually getting to the end when we test people, when we test their knowledge. And so that, that dropout rate might be different across different conditions. And so it's possible, for example, that we um, included some manipulation in this experiment. We are testing something that, well, we think uh, in this one version, there's something that we're adding that, that we think will teach better. Um, but it's possible that that manipulation that we included actually, for example, made, um, made uh, learners who were struggling a little bit more just kind of drop out. And so they never got to the test. Whereas in the original condition that we were comparing the new one against, um, well, maybe more of those um, struggling students actually, they, they actually got through it. And so when we test people, and let's say we, got, we get results showing that, oh, this new version, look, people are actually scoring higher. In, yeah, this, this worked. Well, <laughs> but that might not be because 
the new condition teaches better, it might just be because the population of learners, that sample actually changed. And so in the condition um, that we were hoping would be better, maybe it's just people are scoring better because, well, those, just those stronger students stuck around and others dropped out. And so maybe that's just because, that's the reason why we're getting higher accuracy. And so these are the factors that are actually very difficult to control for. If we can't test everyone um, at the end, if we can't keep everyone in this experiment until the, the test, then it's really hard to know why we're getting certain results. It's really hard to interpret data. And so essentially A-B testing is, is really tricky for, for testing um, instructional design, for trying to get at learning outcomes. It's not possible, and of course we're doing it and we're trying to, <laughs> um, we're trying to control for, for these types of things, and, uh, but, but it's, it's difficult. And so what we do in addition to A-B tests um, for instructional design in particular, is basically supplementing them with other methods. So we might do other types of studies where they're not A-B testing the app. Maybe we do something outside of the app where we test um, people in a more controlled way. Uh, we also might do other types of mini studies where we just test specific um, features of the new experience that we're interested in in a much smaller scale, kind of more academic style. Um, and then use that to, to gain insight into, okay, what is, is the, the new version that we're creating, is this going to be better or not? So basically, we are not able to use A-B tests alone. We use A-B tests, but we need to supplement them with other methods. That's fascinating. As you were saying that, it came to mind that perhaps also engagement and efficacy come to a head sometimes because as is well documented, the best learning experiences are generally uh, rated as less enjoyable, certainly, or, or perceived as, as less effective because people have pretty messed up, I'll say, uh, notions of what effective learning looks like. So I wonder if the best version of Duolingo from an efficacy perspective would be an app that's not used very often, much like if you made everyone go to the objectively best personal trainer in the world because uh, they're going to you know, make you work your butt off. <laughs> and it's not going to be super fun and something you want to you know, lay down on the couch and do for five minutes. Um, do you ever feel that, that pressure of perhaps we have to let go of some efficacy uh, just so that this is something that people enjoy engaging with? In a way, although I try to think about it differently, I, I really try to think about how these two things come together. How can we create an experience that's really both effective and fun? And what does that mean? Um, and, and that's just because if people are not enjoying the experience, if they're not having fun, well, they, they just won't, they won't use the app and they, they really won't, won't come back and they won't learn anything. And so really, um, it's, it's really critical to make sure that people enjoy it when they are learning something and they feel like they, they can succeed. They, ha they feel like they can do it. You know, so many of our learners come 
to the app and and they even admitted that oh I, I don't think I'm good at this I don't think I'm a good language learner or I, I don't I'm not good at math I and I think we can actually help them <laughs> feel differently we can actually show to them that no you you can do it anyone can do it um, and so to me that's really an essential part of learning and so in a way what you're saying is that yes there's this aspect of okay if is, you know, is there, is there a better way, is there a really more effective way of teaching someone? And yes, maybe, but a very short term. <laughs> so I can maybe design a very focused um, experience where you're, it's going to be very intensive um, and you're going to get this super um, awesome, effective training, um, but you're going to hate it. And that's really not great for learning for many reasons, because you, you will not want to do it for a very long time. And also, well, you, you just won't have good associations with, with whatever you learned. Um, and so, uh, so in a way, uh, that, that's, that is something that we think a lot about. How can we create this experience that, that avoids this feeling of kind of tediousness uh, that many people have with uh, when they have to learn something, when they study. And we show to them that, no, learning doesn't have to be tedious or boring. You can be learning and you can be having fun at the same time. I wonder how much of your job, though, is allowing or helping people reframe what good learning feels like, right? It's like, uh, I think back to the expression my military mom tried to instill in me. She used to say, embrace the suck. Like, the suck <laughs> is where progress happens. <laughs> it may feel like it's it sucks, but that's what learning feels like. That's what exercise feels like. And so I feel like we almost have to, uh, it's like runners who talk about the runner's high, right? It's like they, they fall in love with this feeling of, of struggle and overcoming. How much of our job collectively is uh, creating positive associations with that feeling. And can we even do anything to help that? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, that's, that's exactly right. That, that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that people, people actually enjoy it. And I think um, one analogy that we actually often think about when, uh, at Duolingo is training for a marathon. And how what we really, what we're trying to do is get people started and when you're starting to train for a marathon, you're not going to start with some giant run of a few miles. No, you're going to start with something small. You're, and, and the key is to just start doing it regularly. And so that's what we're trying to do. Okay, we'll, we'll show you those just few short lessons and just, just do those and come back the next day and do a few more. And then over time, we guide you in such a way that, that you can do more and more. Um, and maybe every day you can do a little bit more and not just more, but also things that are more complex. Um, but the key is to design the whole experience in such a way that, that you feel ready and that you, you're actually enjoying it because you're getting a lot of satisfaction out of it. And yes, it is in some ways hard, but if you feel confidence that you can do it, then you can, you can keep going and if you get this satisfaction of accomplishing something that that feels difficult feels challenging um it actually it feels really good when you when you accomplish it and when you 
push yourself a little bit more. So, so yes, I think it is about reframing it and not framing it as, okay, this, this will suck and you'll just uh, have to study a lot and it will be boring. I think it doesn't have to be that way. You can be thinking about it in a much more positive way that you'll face new exciting challenges and you'll be able to overcome them and will guide you and will help you get there and it will feel amazing. And I think that's what we're trying to do. I love that. I love that reframe. <laughs> so to me, one of the fascinating parts about Duolingo is you all care so much about instructional design, but also you have, as we've mentioned before, this culture of A-B testing everything and trying to uh, use your data set of millions of learners to derive insights about the learning process and what's most effective. So through your work over the last seven years at Duolingo, what are some insights you've had about learning that you feel are underappreciated in other environments like perhaps schools? Great question. And I think, I mean, the primary thing, the main thing that comes to mind, again, takes me back to, to motivation, the role of motivating learners. That is just such, a, such an important thing that I think before Duolingo, I really, it wasn't really on my radar how important it is to make sure that people stay motivated and, 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 and that you, they enjoy the learning journey. And so that, that's really um, one of the, the biggest insights for me. Um, I've definitely realized that this is, this is just a, an intrinsic part of, of learning. And, and you can't just leave it out. You can't design experiences um, that don't take motivation, engagement into account. Another thing that I learned through working on our, on our apps, uh, on our experiences, is the, how, well, let me try it again. <laughs> so what I, another thing that I learned through working on the app is that it's really difficult to design experiences that would teach you well through this interactive um, experience, through interactive exercises. At Duolingo, we really try to create this experience that's fun and effective at the same time. This is, this is what we do. And one way in which we can make this happen is through interactivity, through bite-sized exercises and teaching you just by you interacting with, with whatever you're learning. So in particular language. So just doing some exercises, seeing those example sentences and just going through them and that's really the primary way in which we were, we're teaching you but how do we make sure that you actually learn everything there is to learn about let's say a, a language uh, it's not it's not easy um, so we think a lot a lot about how to design those bite-sized lessons in such a way that learners will be able to pick up on certain regularities um, of the language kind of without even noticing. 
Um, so we rely heavily on um, what's called implicit learning, or we, we want to make sure that learners can learn kind of without even realizing what exactly they're learning. And this is this like <laughs> verb conjugations? Don't sit with the textbook. Like I had to in Spanish class and learn all the conjugations. You just throw people off the deep end. Exactly. Implicitly. Exactly. So that's that's exactly right. So many people have very bad memories of um, learning a language in a classroom or another context when they had to memorize. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and me as well. I, I had to do that too in many classes. Um, where you had to memorize, especially those conjugation tables. Yeah, I think that's the most vivid uh, memory that many people have. But there, there are a lot of grammatical things that people are made to memorize or just go through those tedious exercises of, uh, of just filling out some uh, endings of verbs and endings of nouns. And depending on what language you're learning, there are all kinds of um, things that, that you, know, you, might, you might need to learn how to do. And it's, and it's tedious and it's boring. And so at Duolingo, we really, we don't want to do this. This is not fun. <laughs> um, so, so how do we do it? How, what, what's, what's a different way? And what's interesting is that over the past few decades, many decades now, um, this has been um, a big uh, area of research in generally in cognitive psychology uh, in linguistics as well, um, around implicit learning and especially what's called statistical learning. And we realized that people can actually learn a lot in, in this implicit way, just picking up those regularities that exist in the world. Um, Wasn't that how language is learned in infancy? Or like, that's we don't ever that's what it seems like. <laughs> Exactly, but that that was not you know a few decades ago, and maybe still uh, some people think there's um, there's a different way to learn a language, and so uh, there's this nature versus nurture debate. Okay, that maybe language is so complicated that what actually happens is that babies are born with certain knowledge already encoded in their brains, um, and what many people started doing is questioning this. Wait, like, is this right? <laughs> how much can we push it? Can we, <laughs> can we see how much babies can actually learn just from listening to the language? And it turned out that, well, actually, babies can learn a lot. You can expose them to, to just speech sounds. You can expose them to a stream of speech, and, and they can pick up from this, some um, regularities, like which syllable is likely to follow another syllable. Uh, and, and this is amazing. And then there has been a lot of research um, in, in just all kinds of domains looking at this ability that humans have to, to learn uh, from just interacting with the with the environment from just being exposed to certain things and we realize wow we actually can learn a lot it's not just the babies adults can learn a lot it's not only humans non-human species can also do this kind of statistical learning they can learn the statistics of the environment um, and so so we realize that that's actually really powerful uh, we can <laughs> 
we can really set up an environment for people to, to just try to learn this way. Um, we just, what we can do at Duolingo is design experiences that will just really make those patterns a little bit more salient, easier to extract. And so we can really increase the efficiency of statistical learning, but we know people can do it. And so we are designing those experiences that rely on those learning mechanisms that, that we know about. We know that people can do statistical learning and we are designing lessons that really help people use this mechanism. Um, and, but that requires a lot of thinking. That's, that's really difficult to, to design, but that's what we, that's what we think about. And that's, uh, that's where a lot of our mental power goes when we think about instructional design. Okay, how can we design those experiences in such a way that this will work, that this will work well, that people can actually do this statistical learning. It doesn't mean that you know, we completely avoid things like conjugation tables. There is a use for things like that. And there is a use for some more explicit pointers and explanations. And so we, we do try to use them, but more strategically when we think, okay, you might actually benefit from this kind of explanation. Um, but the, the bulk of learning really happens much more implicitly. That completely makes sense. Let me circle back to the first part of that answer. You're probably hoping I wouldn't because this is a whole can of worms. <laughs> but what does motivate a person to learn? I'll just ask that very broadly because you said uh, caring about a student's motivation is something that you would try to bring to other learning environments. So you, I can't let you just get away saying that. So <laughs> what is your theory of motivation, if you will? Primarily what motivates people is getting meaning out of what they're learning, building some type of connection with whatever they are learning. For language, um, this often is some personal connection that they already have with a language. And so they might, they might have, a, have a certain goal. They really want to travel to a particular country and it's really meaningful to them, and, and that's what motivates them. Uh, or maybe they have a grandparent who speaks a language that they can't, and they really want to connect with them and learn that language. And those personal reasons, those personal um, connections, this, this is what gives them meaning. This is what really makes accomplishing a certain goal important, and that's what... Um, what really is very powerful for motivation. Um, and so, so that's really, and that's something that, that people come in with when they start Duolingo. This is not something we create, um, but that's, that's very important. Then there are other things that we can help with, that we can um, help create additional motivation and we can, we can show to people why uh, learning is, is important, is meaningful, or is, is fun for, for other reasons that maybe they didn't even realize initially. Um, and so that, those are things that we try to, try to play with in the app. Um, some things are, are, are very trivial, like trying to just um, motivate people through certain gamification features. And so we try to uh, give them 
encourage them to maintain a streak. So we want them to come back every day and then they maintain this, this streak of, you know, seven days, 10 days, 100 days, 1,000 days. And people are very proud of their streaks and this is a very powerful motivator um, showing that, that you can build this habit and come back every day. Um, and, and so we celebrate that. We celebrate you maintaining your streak. Um, oh, we, we help you um, stay motivated through uh, competition. So many people like to compete with others. And so we have features where we encourage that, where we have leaderboards and you can compete with others and gain XP and, and try to um, make sure that you keep learning um, to, you know, to stay on top. That's, that's, a, that's a powerful motivator for, for many people, not for everyone, um, but it does, it does work. Um, and um, other things that we try to do is, is just um, build up that confidence that I mentioned earlier. So many people who come to Duolingo really do feel like, well, they want to do this, but they, they're not good at it. And so we try to build this, this world for them, this world of Duolingo where they feel safe. It's a, it's a self space for learning. It's okay to, to make mistakes. It's okay to just play. Um, this is where you can learn and we'll, um, we'll keep supporting you and we'll keep sending you your messages about um, how well you're doing and when you make a mistake we'll tell you it's okay you know keep going uh, one thing that we um, that we did that's very unique to Duolingo is build this whole cast of characters so these are just really lovable characters they have names and they have their own personalities and they are part of the Duolingo world and they are present in the app and they are they're there to really support our learners and learners can build this connection this emotional connection with them um, i'm obsessed with the way you do this by the way i can't <laughs> wait to copy it one day <laughs> and i think this is partly actually our attempt to, to simulate those learning environments that exist you know, in schools, where people have this, this whole world uh, of, of friends and teachers, and they can go there, it's this nice context, they know they're learning there, and, and we want them to feel that uh, on Duolingo, we want them to feel this, this community, um, that they are part of this, this magical, delightful Duolingo world, and, and it's and it's again, it's a safe space. It's a, it's just a world where where you can you can learn something, and and you're you're going to be good at it. You are going to accomplish your goals, because this, we will guide you and will support you until you you do. I love that. I love that. So I want to highlight you've recently, or in the last year, I don't know. I guess that's not super recent announced your upcoming math platform, which is a super exciting development. So uh, I'm sure you're more involved with the flagship product, but do you have any comments about how math is similar to language learning in, in the, the approach um, and the pedagogy? And then 
a question on top of that <laughs> is, do you think there are certain subjects where this Duolingo style approach is not as effective? Yes, so math is very, very exciting. Um, and we're, we're all <laughs> very excitedly waiting for, uh, for launch uh, of this app. And so we're working on it uh, hard. It's interesting how, in, in how many ways it really does feel similar to teaching languages. Uh, you can think of math in many ways as um, similar to, to grammar of a language. So languages have all those patterns, all, all those rules that are difficult to, to learn when you're trying to learn a language. Uh, all those conjugations, all those endings, and, but there's logic to them. There are patterns. And, and math, in many ways, it's, is similar. There are all those patterns, and that's really a lot of what we want to teach you, what, what we want you to get practice with. And so just like with language, we create those interactive exercises that you go through, and you, and you are um, maybe even without noticing exactly what you're learning, we're showing you those examples in such a way that your brain notices some patterns. For math, we're really trying to do the same. We're trying to create those exercises that are bite-sized and, and you're going through them and you might not even notice that you're learning. Um, but the way we construct certain comparisons, certain contrasts, you're actually picking up on certain patterns and you're, you're getting it right. And we've done uh, already a lot of user testing and, and it's actually really amazing to see how this works with, um, well, with, with children who, who are using the app and, and, it's, and it's happening, it feels magical that they, they go through those lessons and actually um, pick up on those patterns without, without us having to explain very explicitly what the underlying rules are. So in, in such ways, this is, this is very similar. Of course, there are um, aspects of math that are going to be very different than language. Um, one thing that's, um, that's going to be different uh, is, for example, more, more reasoning or trying to solve word problems. You know, this will require slightly different approaches than what we have in terms of those bite-sized uh, little lessons. Um, but, but we think we can, we can accomplish it as well. As to what subjects are just not going to be easy to teach on Duolingo? Um, well, it's, a, it's really a great question and I guess we'll see. We'll see how far we can get. Does that mean uh, you're going to try? You're going to try to teach <laughs> philosophy on Duolingo? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we will. I mean, definitely we're going to start with those that are more similar to what we're already doing. So things that we think really lend themselves to those those bite-sized lessons, those interactive exercises where you can really pick up certain patterns, maybe you know, more implicitly, or things that require a lot of repetition, because that's really what Duolingo is, is really good at. Um, but I think it will be a great challenge to see what, what else we can teach and what we can't teach. Um, I will say that you know, there are things that are obviously going to be difficult that are already difficult for us now. For example, when we teach language, it's, it's really tough to, to figure out how to teach people to, to actually speak the language, to produce, to, to have a conversation. Those are 
things that are hard to do on an app. And so we're really thinking hard about it. Um, but things that are more like that are, are just going to be intrinsically hard or, um, or things that are just hard to do on a phone. Um, so writing an essay, well, it's actually pretty tough to be typing on the phone. And so that might be a little bit difficult for us to do. Oh, have you seen how quick kids text nowadays? I think yes, so yes, okay. maybe it is going to be possible. But I think these are, these are the challenges. How can we go beyond the, this bite-sized format? How can we teach things that require a little bit more um, longer form, a little bit more thinking, more reasoning, more creativity? Those are going to be the challenges. Well, I see we are almost at time so i want to fit in one last question which may require require some thought i'll let you take a second but uh if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about our schools so let, let's think uh that well you didn't go through the traditional u.s school system but i'm sure you can guess what it's like uh what would you change what do you think would be the highest leverage change or a high leverage change Great question. And even though I didn't go through the American school system, I think schools in Poland are in many ways similar. There are differences. But one thing that, that I would change in the U.S. and really around the world um, is, is the appreciation for the profession of teachers. I think in many countries, teachers are not paid very much. The profession is not very respected. And I think that's that's really problematic. It's such an important profession and it's so difficult it's to, to be a, a good teacher. It's so difficult to, to keep building those skills. It's, we should appreciate that. And we really can't appreciate it if, if, if teachers are not paid much, if, um, if they're not given those just benefits that, that so many other professions enjoy. And so that's really what I would change. I would really want to show appreciation for teachers and make, make teachers be very highly valued and respected so that we can really bring the best talent to this profession and, and keep this talent. I love that answer. Well, Bojana, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciated your time. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun.